So we continue from an apology for the fables of Homer. We are page 460. It likewise appears to me that uh, whatever is tragical, monstrous, and natural in poetical fictions excites the hearers in, a, in an all-various manner to the investigation of the truth, attracts us to recondite knowledge and does not suffer us through apparent probability to rest satisfied with superficial conceptions, but compels us to penetrate, penetrate into the interior parts of fables to explore the obscure intention of their authors and survey what natures and powers are intended to signify to posterity by such mythical by by such mystical symbols. Since thereafter therefore fables of this kind excite those of a naturally more excellent disposition to a desire of the concealed theory which they contain, and to an investigation of the truth established in the added adita uh, there's the depth, and it means, uh, through their apparent absurdity, but prevent the profane from busying themselves about things which uh, it is not lawful for them to touch. Are they not eminently adapted to the gods themselves, uh, of whose nature they are the interpreters? For many genera are hurled forth uh, before the gods, some of a demonical and others of an angelic order who terrify those that are excited to a participation of divinity who are ex exercised for the reception of divine light and are sublimely elevated to the union of the gods. But we may especially perceive the alliance of these fables with the tribe of demons whose energies manifest many things symbolically, as those known who have met with demons when awake or have enjoyed their inspiration in dreams, enfolding uh, many pasts of future events. For in all such fanta fantasies, after the manner of the authors of fables, some things are indicated by others nor of the things which take place through this are some images of but other paradigms but some are symbols and others symbolized with this from analogy if therefore this mode of composing fables is demonical must we not say that it is exempt from every other variety of fables as well that which regards nature and interprets natural powers as that which presides over the instruction of the forms of the soul. Now I'll read the footnotes here. Such fables also call forth our unperverted conceptions of the divine natures in which they efficaciously establish us by untaught sacred disciplines. 
in soul they give perfection to the vital powers of the soul. Adinatis is erroneously printed in the original for Adinatis. Proclus say this with reference to what took place in the mysteries as is evident from the following extract from his MS commentary on the first Alcibiades and Tes Aiotatis ton Teleton protis to Theu Parusias the monon chthonion tinon symbolus profenonde ke opsis etaratuse tus telumenus ke apostose ton achranton agathon ke istin ilin ekprokalumeni dia to ke ithei παρακαλεύονται μη προτέρων εις εκείνους βλέπειν πριν τες από τον τελετών φραχθόμεν δυνάμεσιν ουχρή κινούσε βλέπειν πριν σώμα τελέστης και δια τούτο τα λόγια προστήθησιν ότι τας ψυχάς θέλγοντες αή των γενετών απαγούσιν. In the most holy of the mysteries, therefore, the God appears, certain terrestrial demons present themselves and fight, with, which dis, distra, disturbs those uh, that are to be initiated, tear them away from undefiled goods, uh, and call forth their attention to matter. Hence, the gods exhort us not to look at this till we are fortified by the powers which the mysteries offer. For those they speak, it is not proper for you to behold them till your holy is initiated, until your body is initiated. And on this account, the oracles, the Chaldeans, Cal add that uh, such demons alluring souls seduce from seduce them from the mysteries. Agreeably to this, Proclus also in Plato's Theology, page 7, observes, Enteston teleton aiotatis fasi tus mistas timen protin polyidesi ke polymorphis ton theon probablimenis genesin apandon. In the most holy of the mysteries, they say that the mystics at first meet with a multiform and many shaped genera which are hurled forth before the gods. For Iper, as in the original reads Iper, Iper. What the different modes of theomachy or the battles of the gods are among theologists and an interpretation of the occult truth which they contain. And those much concerning those forms of fables according to which other poets and Homer have delivered mystic conceptions respecting the gods and which are inapparent to the vulgar. After this, it follows, I think, that we should distinctly consider the several fables in the order in which they are mentioned by Socrates, and contemplate according to what conceptions of the soul 
Homer represents the gods fighting or doing or suffering any of the any anything else in these poems. And in the first place, let us consider this uh, Theomachy, as it is called, uh, of Battle of the Gods, which Homer devises, but Socrates thinks worthy of anim animadversion, as by no means adapted to the education of the youth, for uh, that there is neither sedition nor dissension and division as with mortals among the gods, but peace and inoffensive life, the poet himself testifies when he somewhere says concerning Olympus that it is a substratum to the gods who possess every possible joy and spectacles of immense beauty, substratum. The blessed gods enjoy and ceasing live. What discord and war then can find any entrance among those who are allotted eternal delight, who are perpetually propitious and rejoicing in the goods which they possess? But if uh, it be proper that discourses concerning the gods should regard as well their providence as the nature of the beings for whom they provide, I think we may interpret as follows their opposition to each other. In the first place, the divided progressions of all things and their separations according to essence supernally originate from that division of first operating causes which is a note to us, which is a note to all things and subsisting according to those principles which are expanded above holes. They descend from each other, some being suspended from the unifying monad bound and about this determining their subsistence, but others receiving in themselves a never-failing power from, the, from that infinity which is generative of holes and is a cause of productive, of multitude and progression, and about this establishing the proper hyparxis. After the same manner, therefore, in which the first principles of things are separated from each other, all the divine genera and true beings have a progression orderly divided from each other, and some of them are the leaders of union to secondary natures, but others impart the power of separation. Some are the causes of conversion, convolving the multitude of progressions to their proper principles, but others bound the progressions and the subordinate generation from the principles. Again, some supply a generative abundance to inferior natures, but others impart an imitable and undefiled purity. Some bind to themselves the cause of separate goods, but others of, of those goods that are consubsican, consubsistent with the beings by whom they are received. And those in all the orders of being in such a contrariety of general 
diversified hence uh, permanency which establishes things in themselves uh, is opposed to efficacious powers and which are full of life and motion hence uh, the kindred communion of sameness receives a division according to species opposite to the separation of difference but the genius of similitude is allotted an order contrary to dissimilitude and that of equality to inequality according to the same analogy. And the divisions of all these are supernally defined from that dual which subsists as a principle according to which all things are distinguished by their proper boundaries. Proceed with an opposite division to each other from their generative causes and from their connection with each other generate all the variety of secondary natures. Is, is it therefore any longer wonderful if the authors of fables perceiving such contrariety in the gods themselves and the first beings obscurely signify this to their pupils? through battles, the divine genera indeed being perpetually united to each other, but at the same time containing in themselves the causes of union and separation of all things. There is a footnote here, bound and infinity, which are the highest principles after the ineffable cause of all. See the Philebus and uh, the notes to my translation, Aristotle's Metaphysics. For me to read? Or? Uh, if you like to read, you start here. We may also. All right. Uh, from Thomas Taylor, the Platonist, an apology for the fables of Homer. I also think adduce another mode of solution, that the gods themselves are impartably canascent with each other and subsist uniformly in each other, but that their progressions into the universe and their communications are separated in their participations, become divisible and thus filled with contrariety. The objects of their providential exertions not being able to receive in an unmingled manner the powers proceeding from whence, and without confusion their multiform illuminations. We may likewise say that the last orders, which are suspended from divine natures, are being generated remote from first causes and are being proximate to the subjects of their government, which are involved in matter participate themselves of all various contrariety and separation and partibly preside over material natures, minutely dividing those powers which subsist uniformly and impartibly in their first operating causes. Such then, uh, and so many being the modes according to which the mystic rumors of theologist. Hmm. The mystic 
Rumors of the theologist are wont to refer war to the gods themselves, other poets, and those who, in explaining divine concerns, are have been agitated with divine fury, have ascribed wars and battles to the gods. According to the first of those modes we related in which the divine genere are divided conformably to the first principles of wholes. <coughs> For those powers which elevate to causes are after a manner opposed to those that are the sources of generation and the connective to the separating, those that unite and those that multiply the progression of things. Total generi uh, to such a as fabricate partibly, and those which are expanded above, and to those that preside over partial natures, and whence fables concealing the truth assert that such powers fight and war with each other. On this account, as it appears to me, they assert that the Titans, Tetons, <laughs> Titans were the ag uh, antagonist of Bacchus, and the giants of Jupiter, for union, indivisible operation, and a wholeness prior to parts are adapted to those artificers that have a subsistence prior to the world. But the titans and giants produce the demiurgic powers into multitude, divisibly administer the affairs of the universe, and are the proximate fathers of material concerns. Do you understand it? <laughs> Wow, you can explain it. We may also conceive that the Homeric fables, after another manner, have devised the battles of the gods. For in the first place, Homer exempts the demiurgic monad from all the multitude of the gods, and neither represents him proceeding to the contrariety of generation, nor in any respect opposing it, but... While this is firmly established in itself, the number of the gods proceeds from it, which number both abides and proceeds into the universe, and on this account is said to be divided about the providence of the natures which it governs. In the next place of these gods, which are distributed from their father, some abide in him and have an unproceeding subsistence in their proper monad which the poetry of Homer says are established in the abode of Jupiter and together with their father providentially preside in an exempt manner over holes. That these wars against or oppose each other, the fable does not even according to the apparent description admit, but it represents those gods as warring against each other who, proceeding from the demiedric monad, subside into multiform orders, become more partial and more approximate to the objects of their government, and give completion to the angelic or dem de demoniacal armies through their abundant sympathy with subordinate natures and partial allotment of providential energy. For to these I think the passions of the subjects of their providential care our moral uh, allies, such as wounds, blows, and repercussions, and in short, the contrariety of generation, is not very m remote from the administration of these gods. 
that which is partial likewise in the fabrication of things secondary and a minute distribution of providence are adapted to such like powers but not to those which rank as principles and are exempt from all the objects of their providential energy and subsist as separate causes goodness <laughs> hmm. Moreover, since the angelic orders are suspended from the government of the more excellent genera of gods and preserve the characteristics of their leaders through, though in a partial and multiplied manner, they are called by their names and they subsist analogously to the first gods. They appear in their progressions to be the same with their more total causes, and this is not only the fables of the Greeks have occultly devised, I mean that the Leading gods, their attendants, should be called by the same names. But this is also delivered in the initiatory rites of the barbarians, for they say that angels suspended, suspended from the gods when invoked particularly rejoice to be called by the appellations and to be invested with the vehicles of the leaders of their series and exhibit themselves to Thurgist in the place of these leading deities. If, therefore, we refer Minerva, Juno, and Vulcan, when engaged in war below about generation, and likewise Latona, Diana, and the river Xanthus, to other secondary orders, and which are proximate to division in material things, we ought not to wonder on account of the communion of names. For each series bears the appellation of its monad, and the partial spirits love to receive the same denomination with holes. Hence there are many and all various Apollos, Neptunes, and Vultans, and some of them are separate from the universe. Others have an allotment above the heavens, others preside over the whole elements, and the others the government of individuals belows. It is not, therefore, wonderful if a more partial Vulcan, and who is allotted a de demonical order, possesses a providential dominion over material fire in which subsists above the earth, or that he should be in the inspective guardian of a certain art which operates in brass. <laughs> you understand it? <laughs> Goodness. For if the providence of the gods have a subjection according to an ultimate division, being allotted a well-ordered progression supernally from total and united causes, this Vulcanian demon also will rejoice in the safety of that which he is allotted and will be hostile to those causes which are corruptive of its constitution. War, therefore, in such like generate a division of all various powers, mutual familiarity and discord, the visible sympathy with the objects of the government, verbal contentions, revenge through mockery, and other things of this kind are very properly conceived to take place about the terminations of the divine orders. Hence fables and representing such like powers discordant with the with the and opposing each other on account of the subjects over which they providentially preside do not appear to be very remote from the truth. For the passions of the things governed are approximately referred to these. 
In short, since we may perceive two conceptions of battles celebrated by poets inspired by Phoebus, one of these considers the well-ordered division of the divine genere about those two principles of wholes which the one, the exempt cause of all things produced, and according to the opposition of these principles represents the gods also as acting contrary to each other. For whether it be proper to call those first natures bound and infinity or monad or indefinite dua, they will entirely appear to be oppositely divided with respect to each other, according to which the orders of the gods are also separated from each other. But the other conception arises from considering the contrariety and the variety about the last of things, and referring a discord of this kind to the powers that approximately preside over it, and thus feigning that the gods, proceeding into a material nature and distributed about this war with each other. Homer, to those who consider his poems with attention, will appear to speak about the former mode of divine contention when he says, quote, when Saturn was by Jove all-seeing thrust beneath the earth. And in another place respecting Typhon, he says, Earth groaned beneath them as when angry Jove hurls down the forky lightning from above. On Arame when he the thunder throws and fires Typhonius with redoubled blows. When Typhoon breast pressed beneath the burning load, still feels the fury of that avenging God. For in these verses he obscurely signifies a titanic war against Jupiter, and that the Orphic writers call precipitations into Tartarus. But he particularly introduces the gods warring with each other and dissenting about uh, human affairs. Uh, according to the second conception of divine battles in which the divine and intellectual disposition of the figments adopted by the poet is worthy of the greatest admiration. For in describing their battles, who though they are allotted a subsistence at the extremities of the divine progressions, yet are suspended from the gods and are approximate to the subjects of their government and allied to their leaders, he indicates their sympathy with inferior natures, referring a divided life, battle, and opposition from things in subjugation to the powers by which they are governed, just as Orpheus conjoins with Bacchic images, compositions, divisions, and lamentations, referring all these to them from presiding causes. But Homer represents the alliance of these divisible spirits with the series from which they proceed, by the same names through which he celebrates the powers exempt from material natures and employs numbers and figures adopted to their whole orders. For those who engage in battle are eleven in number, imitating the army of the gods and demons following Jupiter, and distributed into eleven parts. 
Of these, those that preside over the better coordination are contained in the pentad. For the odd number, the spheric, and the power of leading all secondary natures according to justice and if extending from the middle to every number are adopted to those who desire to govern more intellectual and perfect natures and as such as are more allied to the one. You understand it? <laughs> That's good. You'll explain it later. <laughs> Remember six is a perfect number. Five is not only an odd, but also a spheric number, for all its multiplications in itself terminate in five. <laughs> Equal to the sum of all its parts, uh, sixes. Hmm. But those of an inferior destiny, and who are the guardians of material natures, proceed according to the hexat. Hezad. Set six, possessing indeed a perfective power over the subjects of the providential care through a proper number, which is six. What was it about six? Uh -huh. One thing that I see about six mm. is that if you, like the uh. hexagons, like the big waves, uh. the hexagons can continue forever, you know, just if you have a circle of uh, circles of the same diameter and you put them mm. next to each other, the tendons create an hexagon. Mm. So it, it goes forever. And then, but in consequence of this number being even and coordinate with the worst nature, they are subordinate to the other powers. Nor is it wonderful if someone should should call these generate gods, though through their alliance to their leaders, and should represent them as warring through their proximate care of material natures. The opposition, therefore, of Neptune and Apollo signifies that these powers preside over the apparent contrariety of all sublunary holes, and hence these gods do not fight with each other. For parts are preserved by their containing holes as long as they subsist. But the opposition of Juno and Diana represents the opposite division of souls in the universe. Whether rational or irrational, separate or inseparable, supernatural or natural, this former of these powers presiding over the more excellent order of souls with the latter, bringing forth and producing into light those of an inferior nature. Who's inferior, Diana? <laughs> hmm. Again, the discord of Minerva and Mars represents the division of the whole of the war and generation into providence, subsisting according to intellect, that which is perfected through necessity, the former power, intellectually presiding over contraries, and the latter cooperating their natural powers and exciting their mutual opposition. Dear, is that like Athena opposes Mars? Huh? There is a conflict, you can say, towards what is more reasonable, more better, better, more good in a way. Mm. And for the establishment of something uh, superior in a way. So you, you don't see it as a conflict in itself, but as a creative process. Mm. But the battle between Hermes and Latona insinuates that all various differences of souls according to their Gnostic and vital motions. Uh -huh. 
Hermes, giving perfection to their knowledge and Latona to their lives, which too often differ from and are contrary to each other. Lastly, the battle between Vulcan and the river. Xanthus adorns in a becoming manner the contrary principles of the whole corporeal system, the former assisting the powers of heat and dryness. We need, uh, what do we need now? Vulcan is dryness. And the latter of cold and moisture, which is Xanthus, from which the whole of generation receives its completion. But since it is requisite that all contrarieties should end in mutual concord, Venus is present, producing friendship. Balancing. So which gives an infinite variety of, of shoes in a way, mm. which is um, the beauty of uh, creation in a way. Venus is present producing friendship in the adverse parties, but at the same time assisting those parts that belong to the worst coordination because these are especially adorned when they possess symmetry and familiarity with the better order of contrary natures, and thus much concerning the divine battles of Homer. Yeah. I think we stop now, huh? The divine battles of, the divine battles of Homer. Huh? Creative battles. Can you explain what happened there? It's the it's the contrariness of of like qualities it's or like the from unity to multitude and from multitude to unity again it's like we are one and we're together. Right one and many. One and many. You know, during this uh locked out somehow we We're locked you out. That, you see that uh, we're connected I, but locked out. We are one together. One together. We're all one together. So that's what it is. The, the we're one, from the one you have the togetherness and then we're all together on the internet, but we're locked out from each other. Huh. So, so we're talking about the divine battles. Uh, is there a divine battle going between the one and the many? Uh, okay. You can, if you like to call it that way, you can call it creativity. Are seven billion people battling something right now? You don't want to have one. No? You, have, you like to have many. Also, so Which section is this? This is the mode, the section on what the different modes of theomachy or the battles of the gods among theologists the and the interpretation the of the occult truth which they contain. The, of the, gods. So the battles, gods, divine battles of Homer. 